once again we take wings on a flight of mildly amusing comedy joining hands and joining hearts here from San Francisco's most enchanting comedy confabulation the punchline here located high atop Alcoa Plaza uh, off Battery Street at the where it meets Montgomery where the fucking hip come to rage <laughs> New Year's Eve Eve upon this recording it'll be 2016 by the time you listen to this and everything in your life will have changed Uh, you'll have decided once and for all not to buy an Apple Watch and for that I love you watches work just as well I don't really want to talk to my watch like Dick Tracy that much you know what I mean and I know I'm losing half the crowd immediately which I intend on doing as the new year starts the first reference of the year is a Dick Tracy reference some people are like was that the Madonna movie other people are like grandfather what's it like to live embalmed in a sarcophagus it's awesome I'll tell you that I never get old I'm as fresh as the day I was entombed and uh Dick Tracy was a policeman. I guess it was from the 30s or whatever. And then there was a, a kind of a uh, flat cartoon from when I was a kid, like the 60s, early 70s. And it had uh, uh, Dick and then his uh, assistant, whoever, I can't remember. He, had, he wore a two-way wrist radio, and Dick Tracy wore one as well. And they would communicate over their wrist radio, which in, I guess, the 40s was like, that's off the hook, right? That's just inconceivable. Fucking, that's like having a device that you talk into and you can look at people's face while you have a phone conversation with them. Thank you. <laughs> That was unachievable in my childhood. Now, sadly, it's overbearing and destroying my life. <laughs> we were excited when we got a machine that could add and divide. And it was this fucking big and you plugged it into the wall. And then it was this fucking big and it took two giant batteries. And then it was this big and then it was this big and you didn't care how many you threw away. And now it's on your phone so you don't even have it anymore unless you work in an accounting office or whatever, which I presume no one here uh, maybe a few people probably still does anyone have an adding machine with a paper roll on it is what I'm getting at what I'm getting at is this whole part of the show is going to be cut out unless I fucking turn tail from this topic immediately and run which I am but here's the point Dick Tracy and uh, what was this fucking kid it wasn't Jimmy Olsen who was Dick Tracy's uh, boy he had, he had a boy that like aided him uh, why was a boy in the New York police department or whatever I don't know but he did aid Dick Tracy. And Dick Tracy never opened his eyes, and he was always in profile, and he had a hat, and he looked like this. And he had a hawk nose, right? He had a hawk nose. And he'd look at the wrist radio, and he'd go, whatever your name is, come and join me. And in the cartoon panel, an arrow would be pointing to it, and it said in a box over the arrow, two-way wrist radio, every fucking time he used it. This went on for decades. Decades. Two-way wrist radio. That's the kind of technology we're talking about here. The deafening splash that Dick Tracy made. I don't know why the Dick Tracy movie wasn't as good as the Steve Jobs movie. You know, like, it's kind of the same technology in a lot of ways. My goodness, we're reverent tonight. How unfortunate for an irreverent comedian. Really, Greg, when one shows up, will you point us in his direction? Or hers, I shall. Uh, we received so many gifts. Thank you very much. Who gave me the Hedy Lamar book? Lisa? Thank you for all your gifts. Lisa gave me so many thoughtful gifts. She gave the gift of Cron. She gave uh, uh, um, Hedy Lamar and Beowulf and, and uh, Speedy the snail carved out of alabaster by her own hands. Yeah, I, I, I'm loath to unleash Speedy because I have no idea what can happen. When you take an alabaster snail out, shit can speed the fuck up. <laughs> I'm going to put it right there in between Kittens McTavish and the emotional support Jack. In fact, I'm going to put it on its own uh, disposable plastic box there that says on it, I shall read, Speedy Support Snail. Snail. 
I love the idea of a support snail because one, as you know, snails are panned by and by fucking freaky sexual. Snails don't. If there's only one snail, there's still going to be more snails. You know what I'm saying? That's all. Snails just go like, I'm doing it. They don't care. They don't. They can only see what's going on in front. So they. Uh, They'll freak out on themselves. And uh, also, they move slowly, so your life can seem like it's just buzzing along. And I think that's what's the best part of having a snail named Speedy. Reminds me of two jokes, and I'm going to tell them right now. Here's a joke Will Durst used to tell. What, is a, what does a uh, snail say when it's riding on a turtle's back? Wee! Because the turtle's going... Faster than them. <laughs> Guy's sitting at home. There's a knock on the door. He goes to the door and opens it up. He looks all around. There's nothing. And he's, hey. And he looks down and there's a snail standing on the porch. He picks up the snail and just throws it. Two years later, he's sitting at home watching TV. There's a knock on the door. He goes to the door, opens it up, looks around, doesn't see anything. He's, hey. He looks down. The snail goes, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> I'll be in Olsen and Johnson's Hell's a Poppin' all weekend if anyone needs to hear some other jokes from the 50s. I got man-eating tiger. Oh, I got a million of them. Hedy Lamar uh, is listed in my book, The Smartest Book in the World. She uh, plays, I think, shortstop on the all-bombshell team. She was the most beautiful woman in the world, and then she was, she was the most beautiful woman in Europe. Then she came to Hollywood, and then she was the most beautiful woman in the world because Hollywood is not content with dominating Europe. Uh, that's what she looked like. She did a movie... Uh, when she was a teenager uh, in Europe called Ecstasy, where she swam nude, which caused an international sensation. And if you saw Hedy Lamar, you'd know why. She also is responsible, along with a scientist friend, for inventing Bluetooth, uh, because she's a bloody genius. And uh, so I'm really happy to get this Hedy Lamar book. On the back, she's canoodling with Clark Gable there. Uh, somebody say, stop. Yeah, here's the title of the book, Ecstasy and Me, My Life as a Woman, by Hedy Lamar. Hedy Lamar, I've always felt that if a man gives you a solid gold key to his door, he's entitled to the courtesy of a visit. <laughs> now, to be sure, when this was written, uh, she may have been asked to put a quote like that in the front because uh, in order to, she was considered inconceivably hot stuff. There's a movie called Samson and Delilah, her and Victor Mature, and uh, not her finest movie, but a, a fine, fine Bible movie. And uh, 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 Groucho Marx's comment was, it's the only time the man's had bigger tits than the girl. And um, <laughs> Victor Mature had a huge, because the snail. <laughs> Everybody okay? I realize we're in a post-Christmas fucking I saw my relatives for a couple days malaise here. <laughs> I'm trying to raise you out of it with some cornball humor. But what I'm getting is kind of a cross current of it. There's a concern that this isn't going to happen tonight, one. And two, uh, there's this horrible Berkeley element that I'm getting, like kind of a... Yeah, no, I'm getting, a, I'm getting an overarching what if you say something wrong thing or whatever. It is to be fervently wished. Maybe you're mistaking me for other comedians. This isn't going to get out of hand and not to... This isn't a Trump rally, you know what I mean? Unlike Trump, I'm not running for Fuhrer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm running for pot monitor. So I went to work my first American film. The script uh, by John Howard Lawson uh, was good. I was Gaby, a romantic, set against a romantic North African background. She's always in uh, exotic movies. There were 
many warm moments to it, and one of them was Boyer crooning C'est la vie de me in his arms, Charles Boyer. My big break uh, came in all the places in wardrobe. The wardrobe mistress wanted to add a touch of sophistication to my dress, something that would lend mystery yet dignity. We experimented, but nothing seemed to do it. Finally, I suggested varying the headgear. In a bit of mad inspiration, I shaped up a white turban. It was just the touch we needed. This notoriety caught on like the Beatles' long hair. Turbans came into, the, came into style as a direct result of Gaby. And just as the phrase, come here, Mr. Christian, came out of Mutiny in the Bounty, so did take me to the Casbah from Algiers became an oft-repeated phrase. Though for the life of me, I can't remember the exact line being used in the picture. It isn't. Uh, but people always used to say, uh, Charles Boyer, they would say, it wasn't take me either. It was come with me to the Casbah. Uh, thank you for this book. It's fantastic. Uh, any, any book with a Charles Boyer story and how she popularized turbans. You'll notice later, Atlanta Turner wears a turban in... Um, uh, uh, the postman always rings twice, and that turbans pop up all through the 40s. Uh, and Hedy Lamar wore a turban like very few people wore a turban. Uh, this is Beowulf, and uh, it's uh, one of the great uh, legends in white people history. And uh, <laughs> Beowulf is a hero, and he slays, he slays the Grendel, and he saves the people of the land and whatnot. Uh, I don't know when it was written. I'm guessing early Middle Ages. Uh, I'm just taking a wild stab on that here. Um, the very first part is written in some bizarre language that it was written in initially. Uh, and so the lettering is uh, it's a <laughs> hobbit talk at the beginning there <laughs> wow uh, somebody say Beowulf. Beowulf there we go let's see here see if we can find a hot Beowulf part why are you taking your glasses off I thought you needed them because there's no fucking light up here and I can't read it and I don't want you to turn the lights up if there's too much lights I explode like a Star Trek episode and I turn to dust like that uh, 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 Twilight Zone. Uh, <laughs> then came the press of liegemen, passing brave to the flood. They bear their ringed mail, their linked battle sarks. The land warden marked the earl's return as he did before. He greeted not the strangers with fierce words from the cliff's crest, but rode toward them and said that the Vader folk, the spoilers in their gleaming mail, were welcome as they fared to their ship. Wow. I'm sure that uh, uh, Tolkien read this over and over again, obviously. Uh, then Beowulf bade bear up the wealth of princes, the trappings and the plates of gold. It was not far thence for them to find Hegelia, the son of H-R-E-T-H-E-L. Hrathl! <laughs> That's the part I was looking for. <laughs> Thus, 300 years, the spoiler of the people hold in the earth a treasure house, mighty in strength, till that a certain man made him wrathful of heart, bear away a cup of gold to his prince, prayed his lord for a bond of peace, and that man's name was Trump. <laughs> no. His name was Crump. Uh, thank you very much for Beowulf. It's very, very exciting. Uh, thank you all for all your gifts, Lisa. Um, a young lady over here. Anne? Lisa. Lisa. So many Lisas. Whoa! Everything's cool. Speedy? Am I? Okay. That was a quick answer for a snail. I was expecting, oh, I'm okay. Like in the cartoons? 
when the tortoise would raise the hair, the hair would go, hey, come on, let's go. And the tortoise would go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> um, I haven't figured out what... Uh, Lisa, the other Lisa, gave me a Who's Who in Baseball, 1970. Tom Seaver on the cover, Tom Terrific, uh, and Mike Cuellar, yeah. Uh, Mike, 1970's Groovy Year, because the year before is 1969. I, normally I would say stop, but she's pegged certain pages here. Uh, I can see with uh, ripped up uh, post-it notes, so it would really behoove me to stop at one here. Let's see if we can find the one I'm looking for. Bill Mazeroski. No, I, hopefully it's Willie Mays. Or the, oh, there's Willie McCovey. Let's just see, yeah, exactly. William McCovey played for the Giants so long that the print is so small that I cannot see it. <laughs> Suffice to say, I remember his stats from 1969. He had 45 home runs, 130 RBIs, and he hit three, 320. I'll just see if I'm right. He scored 101 runs. He had 26 doubles, 45 taters. Cock. Where's the RBIs? Oh, there they are. No, that's home runs. Oh, there they are. 105? No. 326? You can't hit 326. Oh, 126. All right, I was four off. I was four off. But he did hit 320. He was MVP that year, and he hit two home runs in the All-Star Game, and it was my favorite year that I ever lived. Now, thank you very much for that, Lisa. Uh, Erica Atkinson, our very good friend, uh, uh, has given us many books, and uh, I've known her for ages and ages. And She's written a poetry book here called Exhort the Goddess. She also has several other books that you can find if you want to look for her. Our good friend Reed K. Rallman is here tonight, too. Tell me the name of the... Oswald the... Thank you. Uh, Reed uh, does a character called Sebastian Boswell III. Uh, are you, you're a, primarily a mentalist, are you not? True. True. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so look for him, won't you? Uh, and, and look for Erica's books as well. A Band of Misfits was given to me by a young man from Venezuela. How do I know that? He told me he was from Venezuela. I don't actually guess people's country of origin when I see them. So don't think if you walk up to me and you're a white person, I'm like, mm, Finland? <laughs> What's your name, sir? You're a girl now? You've gone through some changes since we met. I love it. Bez Car? What was it? Cesar. Okay, I got it. Yeah. No, I, I used the Latin pronunciation. And I love that. Someone went, Caesar. I'm like, you brought her. This is the 2010 uh, Giants story, and uh, we've talked way much about the Giants on the show, but uh, I thank you very much for this. This was the team with uh, Jonathan Sanchez and Aubrey Huff and uh, Cody Ross and, uh, oh yeah, uh, Tim Winscombe. It was little Timmy Jimmy's uh, biggest year and all that jazz, so really fantastic. Thank you very much for this. Also got some baseball cards from Dude Buddies. Basil and Ian? Keiko. Okay. Everybody seems to know their names. (laughs) Fucking everybody knew Cesar's name and everybody knows Keiko's name. What are you guys doing before the show? Just walking around like, hi, I'm fucking Cesar. I'm Keiko. This is my patch over here. I sit in the back. And everyone shall know my name, like Beowulf. Well, I bid you welcome. Thank you for these baseball cards. They're so, so very awesome. A young lady in the front row gave me Hamilton, the musical. It's a musical about Alexander Hamilton. He's on the $10 bill in case you want to orient yourself. What was your name again? Marcy. Marcy, thank you so much for this. Uh, Alexander Hamilton uh, was also shot in a duel. You may remember Dick Cheney had that duel with the guy he was hunting with years ago. 
that older fellow. But Dick Cheney, I, I dare say, will never have his name, uh, his face on a $10 bill the way Alexander Hamilton uh, took us a couple slugs from uh, Aaron Burr and then uh, passed away shortly thereafter. He was, no, he wasn't vice president. He was a, a very, uh, one of the more progressive founding fathers, quite frankly, and a pity to lose Alexander Hamilton because uh, while Burr was a, a, pol- a politician of the highest caliber and uh, Washington, I mean, this is if you listen to, uh, you, you, you know, when you read like Gore Vidal history books, you have to take them with like a bag of salt. You know what I mean? Like a man bag of salt because in, in his book, Burr, he talks about Washington and he goes, there's Washington again looking like a fucking tart. You know, like with a powdered wig on crooked and his teeth sticking out and fucking rouge all over his cheeks. And he calls Thomas Jefferson Massa Tom through the whole fucking book, right? Yeah, Massa Tom, right? And then he goes down to Monticello and there's black slaves with red hair everywhere. And he's like, really? You know, because Burr was Jefferson's vice president. But he's horrible about all the founding fathers. But the truth is, or, or some sort of white people truth, uh, Hamilton uh, argued to have women put in the bloody uh, 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 Constitution and Declaration of Independence. And that got fucking shot down uh, and shit like that. So thank you very much for this. Hamilton the Musical. Um, th- what's that other one? 1776? There- there are very few musicals about the Revolutionary War. And um, thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. The rest of the crowd's like, what's the Revolutionary War, man? Uh, the Dollar Bill and the Hundred are going to be your guidebook on the Revolution. Go to those two. They cover a lot of the ground. By the way, women didn't do anything during the Revolution. They sewed the flag. Wasn't that amazing? When I was little, we were taught that George Washington beat the British and that uh, even Chaim Solomon, the Jew, got in there and helped finance some shit. Lafayette, the Frenchman, came over, the Marquise, to help everybody out. Von Steuben was a fake Pole who came over and pretended he was a Prussian and, and drilled the troops. Koski Osko, the, the Polish artillery commander. There's all these, uh, you know, Mad Anthony Wayne and all this. And Benedict Arnold, who was a superb junior officer on our side and then flipped over for the British. And then, oh my God, we made him into this horrible villain. And all he did was fucking change sides to the, th- the fucking side he thought was bo- more corporately funded, quite frankly. He was like, you know, I never see boats stop coming from England. I think... And on this side, there's a lot of molasses. Are you exonerating Benedict Arnold? No. What I'm saying is, when I was in the, uh, uh, being a kid, we were taught, like, Paul Revere, and then one woman, Betsy fucking Ross, and she sewed the first flag like it took forever, and there was, like, lightning bolts hitting her the whole time, and she was in a hail of fire or something, or, like, the British had her strung up by her ankles, right, and she was having to sew upside down while they beat her with a codfish or whatever, and Paul Revere, they had, they had rubbed one of his pewter bolsa, and it was shining in her eyes too brightly, and... There were so many women spies. There were so many women fighting on both sides, obviously. If George Washington hadn't married Martha, he would have been, you know, let's be honest. Right? He would have been Dan Quayle without Marilyn Quayle. He would have been uh, half the presidents without their fucking wives. Uh, uh, Lincoln without Mary Todd, right? If Lincoln hadn't married Mary Todd, I'd run for president? Really? With what? With your money? Being a country fucking lawyer in Illinois? (laughs) Um... Yeah, Washington was tall, and he was a badass officer and shit like that. In the French Indian War, he had a couple horses shot out from under, and the Indians were like, this is freaky. How does the white guy have so much fucking power that horses get shot out from under him, and he never screams, and he gets back on the horse? Because that was G-dubs. But... (laughs) 
If he hadn't married Martha, the plantation and all that? I don't think so. Martha Custis had mad bread and bankrolled the whole fucking thing. And if you didn't know this, he took expenses. He didn't take a salary. Washington took expenses from the Continental Congress. So he made a couple hundred thousand during the war. Right? Like people, really? Yeah. He didn't get like $18 a week in a pay packet or whatever, or whatever they were spending then, four crowns and a sovereign or whatever nonsense people were fucking spending in those days with a Sam Adams, you know, and you slap it on the counter and whatnot, and someone pours you a tankard of ale, and you go, oh, everybody gather around, we're going in the back room to talk about sedition. And then when you spoke, you had to put one hand here. We're able to speak freely now, but in those days... More's the fucking pity, right? Would it be awesome or not to see Mike Huckabee come out and go, Countrymen, a call to thee. The Negro is rising. Right? Crispus Attucks, that was your black person. That's who you got for the revolution. The first person killed in the Boston Massacre before the war even started was a black man named Crisp, the fantastic name of Crispus Attucks. And uh, that was it. Evidently, no black people fought, even though, of course, there were fucking divisions of black people. And she's like, okay, you're exaggerating. There wasn't divisions. Black people fought. And uh, everybody fought. Uh, in any case, thank you very much for Hamilton the Musical. I spent a little more time on the Revolutionary War. It takes me back to a special memory. My first criticism of Obama, and by the way, I, I think he's doing a bang-up job the last two years. I love uh, the acceleration. You know what I mean? Uh, it gets to the last two years and they can't touch you anymore. And now he says shit like, you know what happens when I run an election? I fucking win and shit like that. And then uh, gay marriage. I mean, he's, he's on fire right now. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm hoping uh, that there's going to be a, a, a gun control executive order coming down soon. It's not going to solve everything. It's just going to be like a waiting period thing. But I think he's going to throw a lot of fucking darts at them before he goes. And if he closes Guantanamo, and I'm really, really hoping he does. He's been promising for fucking 10 years. But if he, if he does close it, imagine, uh, I, I hate the expression game changer, but let's just talk about the terrain of the election coming up. If there's a, a, a mandatory waiting period that the Congress can't contest and fucking Guantanamo's closed, what are they going to do? Now you've already heard that they're going to start a war with Iran. They're going to revoke uh, Obamacare. They're going to revoke Planned Parenthood. They're, you've heard all the things they're going to do. We're going to have a war with Iran if a Republican is elected. That's on the agenda for what's going to fucking happen. And there's not going to be any more Planned Parenthood. They're going to defund it, right? I mean, they said all these things. Obviously, these are just campaign promises. But are you really going to say if they uh, uh, close Guantanamo Bay, we're fucking reopening it? I mean, that's a toughie, right? In anyone's book. In anyone's book, you have to fucking get everybody together. I know you guys rolled the fences up and the force feeders and all that shit, but break that shit out again, all right? <laughs> Clean that shit off. We got some innocent teenagers to fucking force feed. Let's do this. <laughs> we got democracy to fucking enact and protect. What are we, savages? We're America. We stand, we're a moral beacon to the world. The prison camp. With no due process. <laughs> And the trade unions, and the communists, and the homosexuals. We will make America great again. Diane gave me this. It's a blanket. 
It's a blanket with a card for your blanket fort in the Fortress of Pripitude. Thank you. It has a quote on it. Will you hold this for me? Oh, yeah. Pyrotechnics. <laughs> It says, fuck you, I was born in a cane field. (laughs) Broadcasting live from a blanket fort here in San Francisco with only Speedy the Emotional Supports there at his back. The Proofcast has finally begun this episode. As the presents have been discounted for and the airing and grievances have already been had. I'm far too hot and I'm sweating from the bridge of my nose already under this blanket fort because this is made of a space-age polymer that they take into the space station with them when they sleep upside down and swallow their own toothpaste. I'm losing consciousness. Can't, can't breathe anymore. It's becoming too warm. Won't someone open a window? Can't find my way out. I can only see a black thing in front of me. Here, I'll lick it. Oh, that's how I got this gig. I have no idea what's been happening for the last five minutes. Hamilton, oh, Hamilton. He's quite an examilton. I've not seen nor have I heard the musical. I'm just assuming that's one of the songs in it. Beginning to look a lot like the British Everywhere I gaze <sighs> Never give a man a blanket when he's under the lights That's what my father used to tell me Oh, I've forgotten this book One last book How to Generate Life Electricity She's marked the pages What was your name, darling? Christine Christine Facts concerning glame, or is it glame? It quickens the pulse. It gives an intense brightness to the eyes. It gives a glow of health to the face. It enlarges the pupil of the eyes, which is a sign of vital power. Fucking A. This is a self-improvement book from 1926 called How to Generate Life Electricity. You can laugh all you like. I live in L.A. There's Ekin, 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 what's it called? Fucking car, gacking car. There's yoga Nanda. There's fucking people uh, go into rooms and do hot yoga in a room with a dude who just wanted to nail chicks. Basically, came up with this program of like turning the fucking heat up in the room. People swear by this shit. People, non-Jewish people, study the Kabbalah and wear a string around their wrist because it's a spiritual. God. Are you making fun of people's belief systems? No. Any, as Frank Sinatra said, anything that gets you through the night, whether it's drink or prayer or whatever, right? What did he say? I'm a nickel-plated manic depressive. Uh, but if I can't make fun of it, fuck you. I was born in a cane field. I'll never forget that lady, and I'll never see her again, I hope. That was my favorite event of someone being thrown out of a show because that was during the Maui episode and we were in Maui and from uh, the uh, venue where we were playing you could see the island of Kauai over there or Lanai rather and um, uh, uh, no the one that's yeah the one that's owned by um, uh, Larry Ellison 
and uh, uh, it, it's, it was in the, in the sunset over there, and a gentle tropical hibiscus-scented trade wind was blowing through the venue through the entire night, and this woman was thrown out of a podcast because she was roaring drunk and was carted atop the, the bouncers like this, like Roman style. <laughs> Like parade style, out the door, and as she was carted out, she yelled, Fuck you, I was born in a cane field. <laughs> then they threw her out into the street. It was an open air venue, so you could hear her. <laughs> also, she was thrown into Hawaii. <laughs> on a balmy fucking night. It's different than leaving the punchline on New Year's Eve, you know what I mean? You leave the punchline on New Year's Eve, someone's keyed your car, someone throws a bottle at you, someone from San Leandro barfs near you, you know what I mean? You get, you go, you're thrown out in Hawaii, you're in paradise. She was literally 20 yards from the ocean. She could have just gone to the ocean and dunked her feet in and gone like, ah! Fuck everyone I was born in a cane field. She was high. She was high before the show started. I know, because I was high, but she was high. I think it was her. I went over to the bar, and she was like, What's up? You better be fucking funny tonight! <laughs> and I was like, Do you know why you're here? And she's like, Yeah, so you can be fucking funny! <laughs> and I thought, Mmm, this is gonna go good. Uh, huh, huh. We must start the show. We really... Really? Can I have another uh, vodka-flavored uh, vodka? Um... Yes, I'm drinking it out of a coffee cup. Because that's L.A. sobriety. No, I really think you got a lot of great concepts there. Take this home and work on it for a while. I'll just be hiding in my blanket for it. I belong to a support snail, uh... Well, I wouldn't call it a cult. We're a group, and uh, we meet every week, and it's all about land-going mollusks. I said, can I have a vodka? I know everybody in the audience is like, there's no way they could bring it that quickly, Greg. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you, my darling. Thank you so much. How very kind of you. Cheers. Thank you so much. Everybody take five. <laughs> Joking, of course. Do what you like. Um, 2015, what a year, right? Uh, everything awful happened that could possibly happen, but we're not going to dwell on that tonight. We're going to try to move forward into 2016 uh, with a fresh, clean slate and all that. But how can we, Greg, knowing what's happened in the past? Because uh, we have to be grown-ups about this and at once understand that uh, history is continually evolving and unfolding, and then in 20 years' time, we'll have perspective on this like we do on Reagan. And uh, <laughs> thank you. It's been more than 20 years since Reagan. All right, then Clinton... Really? Everyone's going to make those noises? You know what? I was going to start off on a positive note, but you people are harsh in my mellow so fucking hard. God, I miss great America down in Santa Clara. I'm just going to talk about shit that's not here anymore and it'll never come back. Like the love that was in your life. Don't ever yell at me. I didn't even know what you said. It sounded like, let go of the pie. And if you said that, right on. I don't know what you said, but it sounded, in my deaf world, because this is what I sound, I hear uh, 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 like, uh, um, like Lemmy heard before he left. You know what I mean? Like his hearing was like, 
That's what my hearing's like. So whatever you yelled, the rest of the audience heard it distinctly, I'm sure. Like they heard Cesar. And Kiko, which I didn't hear either of. But the whole crowd, she said Cesar. Loudly and distinctly, Greg. Let's look at your hearing loss chart. These are women's voices here. These are the lower men's voices sounds here. Why won't you take the calf of the pen out of your mouth? Why won't you get your own fucking podcast? Because you lack the fucking confidence. That portion of the show was brought to you by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, yeah, thank you for what, what did you yell out? Yeah, that, no, 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 no. Timing is the essence of heckling. I gave you the chance and you chewed it. I still didn't hear it. Speedy, what did he say? Well, I've been listening to the show so far, Greg. I'll be honest. I can have sex with myself and create an entire race. You can destroy me with salt. After listening to your meanderings, I honestly don't fucking get it. It's a mystery to me. There must be a million podcasts. Most of them are entertaining. Some people don't have so much of an ego and they have guests. I thought you were an emotional support snail, Speedy. Well, define support. I'm on your side most of the time. But even for me, the gag's got to come a little faster. Speedy, take, take, some, take some pine. Take some plastic. Woo! Oh, yeah. No, my fucking reflexes are... Razer, Sharpenio. Carol Dota passed away this year. She's swirling in the heavens. She's doing more than swirling in the heavens. She's rising on a piano in the heavens. She's being lowered from the ceiling in the heavens. Um, Carol Dota was a legend here uh, in the Bay Area, and particularly in San Francisco. What did she do, Greg? What didn't she fucking do? Um... Initially, I think you could call her an exotic dancer. I think that would be uh, uh, what we would call her trade. Uh, she had enormous chests, which she was very famous for in the olden times when women didn't have as much plastic surgery uh, on a regular basis, when everyone didn't have as much plastic surgery on a regular basis. And um, uh, I did a gig with her when I was very first doing stand-up, and I had no act whatsoever. I can't remember what year, 80, 81. Uh, we were at some horrible club, the 181 on Eddy Street. And um, yeah. I have friends here tonight we could talk about the 181 and what happened there 
for a really long time. But we're not going to. I'm going to tell you a brief and amusing story. So I go. My friend Pat had a band. And uh, he goes, uh, we're, we're playing. Carol Dota hired us. And I think they got like $150. And we've learned like 10 songs. And we're going to do them with Carol Dota. And it was um, All of Me and uh, Bibalalula. Those are the only two I remember. She sang eight other songs too, but I don't fucking remember what they were. Because I remember All of Me because it went like this. All of me. Why not take all of me? Can't you see? I'm no good without you. Take my arms. I'll never use them. Oh, yeah. That's how... I didn't say she was a singer, you guys. I said she was an exotic artist. Yeah, and it, that's how she... She had a very gruff voice. I introduced myself. Hello, Ms. Dota. My name's Greg. All right. It was like meeting um, uh, uh, Joey Ross from Car 54. Ooh! Uh, so I did stand-up, and um, uh, here's one of my jokes. It's so awful, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I guess I'm in a mood tonight. You know, I have a lot of uh, important people here that I really wanted to impress, and uh, I can see now that uh, I'm going to have to dive into the other end of the pool and try to come out uh, like Sean Connery in Thunderball. I'm going to have to fucking run across a bunch of sharks. Uh, oh, no, that was Live and Let Die. But in Thunderball, sharks are released, and he puts a little air thing into his mouth, and he swims through the pool, and the sharks go by him and everything, and then he swims through the part where the sharks came through. And the, actually, supposedly, the Royal Navy phoned uh, Cubby Broccoli, the producers, and went, how do you have a thing that you, allows you to breathe with a little air tank for 10 minutes? And they're like, it, it doesn't. It's, it's a movie. And the Navy was like, how does that fucking thing work? They're like, it doesn't fucking work. It was Sean Connery going like this. That's it. It's a toy that we gave him. We made him put it in his mouth. Do pay attention, 007. <laughs> Tempted not to tell the joke now. It was so long ago. It was one of the Kennedys. One of the grandchildren, and he was running for office in Massachusetts. And I said, he's doing a lot of this. He's doing a lot of this hand movement to show that he's, you know, a powerful speaker and stuff. I guess it's better than doing this when you're a Kennedy, right? And the crowd, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm edgy. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. So... All the people there that came to see Carol Dota at the 181 Club were jaded, coked-up hipsters. And they all sat in their vintage clothing like this with their legs crossed smoking cigarettes, right? This was in the 80s. And when I did that joke, and then I did this a couple other horrible fucking jokes that I'm not going to do now, and uh, they uh, uh, started to do this. They started to go, right? They started to clack me, right? They tried to clap me off. And I went, oh, I get it. You're trying to clap me off. Well, fuck you. I'm not going off, right? And I had nothing to back it up with. <laughs> I had no material. I had maybe eight minutes of material. The highlight of the evening, I think, was that my roommate at the time got up, uh, and Carol had the crescendo of the show after she sang Bee Bop Alula. Bee Bop Alula, he's a baby. Bee Bop Alula, he's a baby. Bee Bop Alula, he's like a baby. Bee Bop Alula, 
He's like some gravy. Bebopalula. It's like a baby with some gravy. Now some gravy. Now some gravy. All right. He's the boy with the flying feet. At the crescendo of her performance, she asked for a volunteer from the audience. And I, at that point, was seated in the audience, drinking heavily. Uh, with Jennifer, by the way. And uh, um, uh, 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 my roommate at the time volunteered, and he got up. And he was... Uh, he, he carried a little more weight than most men want to carry when this is about to happen to them. She ripped his fucking shirt off and poured oil all over him. And tied him to a chair and kicked him over. So it was a pretty good night. <laughs> I received $50 and a burrito. <laughs> I remember the burrito. $50. And I wore a hat and a checked coat. Um, you didn't live through the 80s like I did and shit. Girls on film! Oh yeah, oh no, it was all, it was so on. And I ran, I ran so far away. Oh yeah. At the 181, it was more like, If you want to ride, ride a white horse. If you want to be rich, you've got to be a bitch. And then awesomely, Rich, bitch. You know, I know when you take the Google bus to work. Oh, really, Greg? That was fucking low. Old drunk at the bar, old drunk at the bar. Tell us about how cool it was when you were young. All right, I will, you little scamps. We would smoke reefer in the bathroom. <laughs> I remember being at the, uh, the uh, 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 what was that fucking place we used to go on Hate Street? Uh, the I-Beam, the I-Beam, thank you. And we're, I was in the I-Beam in the bathroom and I wasn't doing drugs. I was simply urinating in the stall. And the stall next to me got kicked in. But all, I, I was high. I think I was on mushrooms. And the stall next to me, bam, right? And I went, ah! And I had, you know, I was in a vulnerable position. I had quite a length of manhood in my hand. And I was urinating, which for me is like putting out a fire in Contra Costa County. Just, whoa, you know. And the fucking door got kicked in. And I went, ah! And then I realized they were looking for the guy next to me who was doing drugs or whatever. And I fucking, and I came back out. And they had a pool table in one room at the i -Bame, And then a dance hall in the other room. And we used to go there all the fucking time. I saw a million shit bands there. And a, mil and a million good bands as well. And we would just take drugs and go and dance and shit like that. And then they would play, uh, what was it? Um, uh, Pete Shelley from the Buzz Costume. I'm thinking, you are shy boy. You could be my boy. Oh, don't you know that you're a homo sapiens too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And this is the line that I think will key you into where we were coming from in the 80s. Homo, what was it? Homo superior in my interior. <laughs> oh, don't you know that you're a homo sapiens too? And I'm a homo sapiens like you. Yeah, that's what we danced to. 
And then, her name is Rian, she dances on the sand. Those are the big budget videos. <laughs> Carol Dota is swirling down a piano. Then Ornette Coleman is up in the heavens, uh, teaching the heavens how to play music. I told you about the time I saw him on one of the Fortress of Purpitude episodes, and uh, I had the great privilege of seeing Ornette Coleman. Jennifer saw him twice, uh, two, two different bags. Uh, his music was a, a stunning a rearrangement of everything that I knew existed. And I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I wouldn't say that about any other artist. And I, I, as, I, as you know, I'm prone to hyperbole. But uh, in this case, um, I don't exaggerate in any way. Uh, a recording might do him justice, but do yourself a favor and spin an Ornette Coleman live thing if you can find one on YouTube. Because when I saw him, there were three basses, a drummer, and him on a plastic saxophone. And no melody for two hours and when I left I felt like I had changed persona I felt like I was a different human when I left Jennifer and I lost our minds it was fucking mind bending that's how good Ornette Coleman was and to requote him from the obit I already threw him this year they asked him uh, last couple years ago what are you doing when you're on stage what are you trying to do when you're on stage and he said teach that's a jazz musician, right? The music was just like... I can't even make... I can't make sense out of it. I, there's no way to reconstruct what he's deconstructed. In any case, uh, Scylla Black is in the heavens this year, a mate of the Beatles and longtime uh, English TV. Lynn Anderson, who uh, had a fantastic song called I Beg Your Pardon, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden in the early 70s. Uh, she was a country crossover star when there wasn't so many Taylor Swifts. <laughs> And the crowd's gone quiet. But anybody can remember, if you can cast your mind back in your short-ass fucking all-timer mayfly fucking two-day mosquito memory, that Taylor Swift was a country star five years ago who played a banjo on TV. A banjo on TV. And wore, like, fucking Dexy's Midnight Runner overalls and shit. Oh, we're pretending that didn't happen, are we? Now that she's hip and cool and shit? Wow, you guys. Don't ever take Taylor Swift's side in a genre against me again. Building a website can be tough. And even if you do know your way around coding, creating something that looks good and works well is a time-consuming affair. Whether it's for a business side, a portfolio, a restaurant, or whatever else, in this day and age, you probably need one anyway. Well, lucky for us, Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and beautiful website that looks professionally designed, regardless of your skill level. <clears throat> no coding required. Not only does Squarespace provide you with intuitive and easy-to-use tools to create your website with, Squarespace also has a state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And you know you can trust in Squarespace for your website needs when millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world trust in them too. I tried to build a website before Squarespace was available and I had to use water because it was a steam-powered website. Seriously, you can't beat the ease and simplicity of Squarespace. Squarespace gives you 24-7 online support and a beautiful website for only $8 a month. You can even get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. So what are you waiting for? Start a trial with no credit card and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code PROOPS, P-R-O-O-P-S, to get 10% off your first purchase. And to show your support for the smartest men in the world, because that's what we do. We thank Squarespace for their support of the smartest men in the world, Proofcast. Squarespace, build it beautiful. James Horner. Oh, we got to him early. Hey, Kyle, are you back there? Yeah. Uh, will you spin that, James Horner? James Horner did a thousand movies, including Titanic, right? And he passed away. The, uh, he's in the heavens now. Uh, can I... 
If anyone's ever seen the last scene of the movie, uh, if anyone's ever seen the movie Glory with Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick, Andre Brower, uh, Carrie Owens, there's loads of actors in it. Um, it's a movie about the 54th Massachusetts, which is the first uh, black regiment that's in uh, the Union Army officially, right? And uh, they go on their mission, they do their training, they have white officers, and then the very last scene where they have the futile attack against the fort where they're all certain to die, this is the music, and James Horner wrote this. And I don't know if you're familiar with Carl Orff's Carmina Burana, uh, but that's what this reminded me of. And every time I watch the end of the movie, one, I burst into tears and cry like a child. But secondly, um, this music's amazingly stirring, and uh, I don't know why I wanted to play this part of James Horner. He's in so many... He said that he wasn't a jazz musician and not a pop musician, that he was basically classical, and that he didn't use a piano when he sat down to compose a movie. He had paper, and he'd write things on it, and he'd free associate until he came up with an idea for a score, which I found very interesting. Um, will you crank this up just for a second? Did anyone see this fucking movie, or am I the only person? Okay. This is the part where they're coming up the sand dunes and the Confederates are firing down on them and it's nothing but a fusillade and guys lighting grenades and throwing them down and the Union Army. Then they break through the fucking breastworks and fucking fight their way up with bayonets and, then you, and Matthew Broderick's dead. <laughs> Carrie Ulways is leading the troops with a fucking sword and, and Morgan Freeman's next to him. Crank this shit up just for a minute. When you watch it again, watch for the last scene of the movie. Of course you will, because it'll be the last scene of the movie. It ends on the most shameless tableau in the history of fucking cinema. Spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you. Carrie Uwe is the only white guy, and all the black guys are around him. And they've got the American flag. And at the last minute, the American flag unfurls. And they've been running along the ramparts. And they stop. And at the last moment, there's a frame. And the flag unfurls. And they look down. And it's a, a Confederate cannonade. And the cannons go off. And the last shot is them standing with the American flag waving. All of them guns fucking port, right? And that's the last shot of, that you see of our heroes alive and shit. And that music is fucking blaring. Um, Greg... Isn't that Hollywood's manipulative take on a rather serious topic? Um, I heard you, Berkeley. Um, listen. I guarantee you Ron Dellums cried at that fucking movie. Errol Brown. Uh, Benny King. Mm. Ron Moody. Hollywood Lawn. Yeah, fucking Hollywood Lawn. Uh, she's most recently uh, Jack Ely the rockabilly star Leslie Gore uh, fantastic advocate for women's rights and uh, awesome pop singer Steve Strange you may remember from the New Romantics speaking of the 80s Andre Crouch the gospel singer Cynthia Robinson from Sly and the Family Stone Dean Jones that darn cat and Herbie the Love Bug 1 and 2 <laughs> Christopher Lee there's nothing Christopher Lee didn't bite Leonard Nimoy no there's no replacing Leonard Nimoy we've tried and we can't when you need a giant alien with green blood and pointed ears who goes live long and prosper 
you need a giant Jewish actor. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy was that actor. Minnie Minoso, uh, Clark Terry, uh, well, the first, uh, he played on the White Sox mini teams. Uh, he was on the Go-Go Sox. Uh, Minnie Minoso was a superb uh, athlete. Uh, Clark Terry, the jazz musician. Bob Simon, the newsman, God rest his soul. Taylor Negron, a comedian and a gentleman and a scholar and uh, an absolute um, devastating loss. To, uh, a wonderful actor and a, a marvelous human being. Melissa Matheson, the uh, uh, screenwriter. Mary Ellen Mark, uh, the wonderful photographer. A photographer, Julian Bond, who did uh, almost more than any human did in this country for civil rights, Omar Sharif. Uh, yeah, there's no... Omar Sharif is... Um, uh, we were watching Dr. Javago the other night just because every time David Lean gets in trouble in the movie, there's a close-up of Omar Sharif going... <laughs> with his mustache. Watch Lawrence of Arabia, that's all I'm saying. It's really long. And I don't think a woman has a line in the movie. I'm not kidding. It's a three-hour movie with an intermission and an entre-act and an overture and a, and a score at the end. I don't think one woman has any lines in the movie. Some Arab women go like this at one point. Like, that's it. But other than that, I don't think a woman speaks a line in the movie. It's not about you guys. In other words, it's about people and humanity. So... I'm just saying... The scene where you're introduced to Omar Sharif, he, he comes riding in a camel uh, from the horizon. And the scene takes maybe two minutes for him to ride his camel across a, a, a desert. And he shoots a guy and the whole thing happens and all this. And it's astounding. It's a wonderful shot. And David Lean, the director, said that he wanted to make the shot like three times longer. And that the studio went... That's five minutes of a guy riding a camel. And he's like, yeah, but at the end, when he takes off his thing, it's Omar Sharif. And one more time with this story, and I'll only tell it one more time. Omar Sharif apparently met a Peter O'Toole on the set of the movie. And they would go into town, uh, meaning they would go into like Jordan or whatever, to uh, drink on the weekends or Cairo. and Because uh, they were shooting in Jordan, I guess, and, uh, and Morocco. Um, imagine Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif. There's two good-looking guys. Uh, I wonder if they got any chicks. Um, when they met... Peter O'Toole said to him, what's your name? And he said, Omar Sharif. And Peter O'Toole went, no one is named Omar Sharif. I shall call you Fred. And evidently he called him Fred the rest of their life. He also said my favorite thing ever. He was in a movie with Keanu Reeves and he went, yes, Keanu. And someone went, it's Keanu. And Peter O'Toole went, one gets the idea. <laughs> the, t the queen of Technicolor uh, uh, Maureen O'Hara Is swirling in the heavens Yeah I know Maureen O'Hara Hot stuff If you want to go back And check out old movie stars Check out Maureen O'Hara uh, And uh, of course There's The Quiet Man And uh, uh, um, How Green Was My Valley But I would look at The pirate movies The Tyrone Power one The Errol Flynn one They're good she wears knee boots, sometimes thigh-high boots, and stabs dudes in the heart and shit. It's fucking good. Oh, no, she precedes Le Lieutenant Ripley by fucking 30, 40 years. And it's... Also, she's in um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Charles Lawton, and she's absolutely amazing. And Ingrid Cichy, uh, who wrote, uh, was a wonderful journalist uh, who wrote for Interview Magazine. Alan, Alan Toussaint, uh, who's irreplaceable American songwriter, piano player, producer, and... Um, God, what can you say about Alan Toussaint? We saw him this year in London. 
We saw him this year in London. We saw him in the summertime in London. Jennifer and I. Jennifer has her picture with him. I have a bunch of pictures on my phone of her with Alan Toussaint. And uh, the guy in front of us uh, was with his wife. And he was like trying to take a picture of his wife with Alan Toussaint. And Alan Toussaint went, you better hurry up or I'm going to leave with her. <laughs> Which I presume he said to every other person, right? Because he, he was not rushed in any way. He was wearing this astounding fucking amazing uh, like um, uh, 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 gold jacket and uh, oh my god the color combinations it was just fantastic <laughs> and when he sang working in a coal mine the whole crowd went whoop <laughs> which he wrote for Lee Dorsey uh, Alan Toussaint was uh, amazing um, Haskell Wexler we'll get to him uh, now I'm to the people who passed recently B.B. King uh, there's no replacing B.B. King B.B. King is like uh, Ray Charles or James Brown or Hank Williams right I mean when you're Basically, the, to the world, or Louis Armstrong, when, you're, when the genre of music is represented by you, there are a zillion blues artists, and there are a million, billion of valid blues artists, and there's people that preceded him, and there's people that come after B.B. King. But B.B. King, in our lifetime, I think is the one who laid it down like fucking, who can you say, Sinatra, Elvis Presley, who had the kind of ledger domain that B.B. King did. One, he had a million children by a million different women. Some of his children were in prison. Two, other than Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard, is there anyone you can think of that has the credibility to play in front of prisoners and have prisoners go, fuck yeah. Uh, as we said on the show a couple of weeks ago, I played a live recording of him at San Quentin doing Let the Good Times Roll. I said, when you're playing in front of people who are doing life for fucking killing someone with a hammer and you play Let the Good Times Roll, badass doesn't begin to begin to begin to begin. He drove a mule with a plow. Then he took a string and put two nails in it, a steel string. And that's how he learned to play on one fucking string till he could get his first guitar. BB stands for blues boy. BB uh, King is um, titanic and rules the universe. In fact, while we're doing this, why don't you play a little of that BB King there? And then we'll, uh, and this is kind of a, not exactly a bluesy BB King one. It's from Thelma and Louise, but I picked it anyway because it's very upbeat. And uh, it's a gospel BB King number, if you don't mind. Um, turn this down just a little bit as we go into some of the other people who are spinning in the M. Let's see here. A couple of good news, and then we'll go into the rest of the people that passed away. Oh. Now, we'll... Yeah. I know what a lot of you are thinking. The show needs to start. <laughs> We didn't realize we were going to get to the people swirling in the heavens this part so early. But it's the end of the year, and there's a lot of people swirling in the heavens. And the point is, a bunch of people are swirling from this week uh, that we really have to get to. Here, take this all the way down for a second, and I'm going to read one thing, and then we're moving on. Uh, this is from Lewis, who's here tonight. And hello, Lewis. It's a little after 3 p.m. Uh, I'm channel surfing and I hit the brakes at Turner Classic Movies. This is from the last show I talked about it. They're showing the Dirty Dozen. I realize in a couple of minutes there'll be a wonderful scene where Lee Marvin and Ralph Meeker as the army psychiatrist. I have to stick around. And this is the scene. I got it wrong when I mentioned it the other night. If you've ever seen the movie The Dirty Dozen with Lee Marvin, what started this was a fellow gave me a book uh, of Burt Reynolds' biography, right? I'm not kidding. And it is fucking awesome. I finished it and it's one of the best books ever. And, yeah, it's next to Beowulf and the 2010 Giant's Journey. And it, one of the stories he tells is Lee Marvin, who was a hard ass and a great actor. He goes, we went out drinking, and we're, uh, uh, we, we get back to the car, and, Lee, and he says, i got to get you back by 1 a.m. And he goes, Lee Marvin got on top of my car and wouldn't get off. 
And Lee Marvin goes, go. And Bill Reynolds goes, fuck it. I'll just drive slow. <laughs> so they go 10 miles an hour down the Pacific Coast Highway. And, of course, the cops pull up. And he's like, shit, we're going to get busted by the cops. And Lee Marvin's on top of the car. And Burt Reynolds looks over and the cops go, hi, Lee. <laughs> Lee Marvin talked like this. You don't like to be pushed, huh? Ah. <laughs> this is what the scene is. Uh, it's the Dirty Dozen. He has uh, 12 psychopaths. He has to take on a special mission to destroy a Nazi stronghold. I didn't say the movie made sense. I said it was awesome. Are you going to talk about any movies that women are in? Not much tonight, evidently. It's Lawrence of Arabia and the Dirty Dozen. This is like watching movies with my dad in 1970. Patton's on in a minute. Sit down. <laughs> Fucking dad's greatest hits and shit. Whoa, Great Escape's on. Hey. Major Reisman, what does that leave you with? There's the psychiatrist, Captain Kinder, played by Ralph Meeker. It doesn't leave me with anything. It leaves you with the most twisted antisocial bunch of psychopathic deformities I've ever run into. You've got one religious fanatic, one malignant dwarf, two near idiots, and the rest I don't even want to think about. He's just done a psychological profile of the guy's platoon. One malignant dwarf... Two near idiots, and the rest I don't even want to think about. Greg, am I crazy? Or is it possible that the Nunnally Johnson, who wrote the script, uh, had a momentary Nostradamus-like flash of future insight and was writing about the 2015 slate of Republican presidential candidates? <laughs> Thank you, Lewis. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, an amazing year this year for a lot of reasons. Gay marriage was made legal all over the United States. Uh, women are still fighting for their rights in every regard, and uh, that will not stop. It has been a, a, a terrible year for a lot of women's rights. However, uh, women won the World Cup, and Carly Lloyd had a hat trick in that. Uh, Serena uh, had one of the biggest years any tennis, uh, tennis players ever had in the history of ever. Oh, Yogi Berra, I missed out on our uh, uh, Yogi Berra. This one's more because Not a gal. Not a gal. I know. We're going back. <laughs> Goaltender Shannon Zabata has made 33 saves for the Columbus Cottonmouth Saturday evening. This is from uh, the CBC website this week, last week, making her the first female goaltender to register a shutout in a men's professional hockey match. Goaltender Shannon Zabata's uh, 29-year-old made 33 saves during the game, moving the team to 8-9-4. The two-time Olympian is playing her second full season with the Southern Professional Hockey League team, taking over starting duties in the fall of 2014 after a two-game stint. Zabatas holds an 18-16-14 record of four. She plays goaltender for the Canadians Women Olympic team in 2010 and 2014, where she won gold in Vancouver and Sochi. And she's on a professional men's hockey team. She's the first goaltender to uh, have a shutout in professional men's hockey. She's in uh, the SPHL, a 19 professional league based in the southeastern United States. That's what can the Canadian paper said, but based in the southeastern United States. Uh, that's the South. Um, that was the Columbus Cottonmouths, by the way. That's Columbus, Georgia. That's the southeastern part. Uh, that happened last week. Um, and there you are. Uh, I'm skipping that part. It's too... Well, let's not. Let's talk about it ever so briefly. 
um, because we haven't had a boring preachy part yet. And uh, as aside from uh, all the positive things that have happened, it was a, uh, an, an extraordinary year for tragedy, obviously. Um, there was San Bernardino, there was Paris, there was Oregon, there was uh, countless uh, different uh, episodes of uh, mad people and um, the madness of guns in this country and uh, all over the world. And uh, as I've said before on the show, all we can do is carry on, one, and two, make our feelings known. And by that I mean take part in democracy. How do you mean by that? Um, there's only one thing, as I've said again and again, that people respond to uh, that are in power, and that's uh, the wielding of other power. How do I mean that? Financial power and voting power. And um, the only power that you have uh, is to take part in this democracy by not buying the things that you oughtn't buy uh, or that you rather uh, that you shouldn't feel that you should buy, encouraging other people not to, and to support um, the people that uh, uh, express your opinion as your... <coughs> elected officials and also you can constantly Hector write and do ground uh, level work at all times uh, to get things changed and they are I think that uh, much the way that uh, political correctness which seems to be hampering so many people these days um, is now yeah is now a byword um, hopefully in 20 years time uh, gun control will be something that we're all familiar with in this country and that we can go uh, by the model of other countries like Australia and uh, Canada and other countries that do have sensible uh, gun control programs but they don't work as blah 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 and what about Switzerland don't believe any of it countries that have strict gun laws don't have as much murder as we do we know why we have the murder and we know what the second amendment's about um, and we know why guns were invented guns were invented by men so that they can kill people they're afraid of or have rich people have police kill them at their behest that's why guns were invented there's not another reason they weren't invented uh, to make life better they don't give birth they don't make art they don't make anything creative in the world and shit like that I, I'm, I, I don't mean to put it in just blank terms Should there not be guns? That's an impossibility. Let's deal with the reality of what we have and jazz like that. Um, understand a couple of other things. Uh, I don't, I'm sure that you're all sensitive to this, but a very terrible uh, rulings went down in Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, and Freddie Gray's case this week, as well as what's going on in Chicago every week of the year. Um, um, understand that uh, it's not a matter of all lives matter. Um, all lives do matter. However, that's a, a convenient white people way of, uh, of putting it. Um, the reason why there's a Black Lives Matter movement is that black people are shot with impunity again and again and again, constantly, time and time again, um, and are never uh, respected. And that that's not an aberration. It is the system in operation. This is standard operating procedure. What's going on now is what has to be changed. It's not a matter of this, uh, oh my God, I can't believe it's happening again. Um, it's happening again because it's programmed to happen again. Because we've reached this weird point uh, in American history where the ruling class uh, and the corporations and the, the police corporations that work at their behest and all of the wealthy have managed to, in the last 20 or 30 years, uh, by virtue of the laws and the influence they wield, um, been able to funny, funnel all the money 
uh, up to a certain area and therefore have been able to have all the rules be their way. There's no rules uh, against um, people um, uh, pulling banking swindles or stealing money uh, because they've already written the laws that will prohibit people from prosecuting them. There's no rules against the police uh, shooting uh, minorities and, and, and uh, particularly uh, women of color and, and, and men of color uh, uh, all the time because that's the way the system's not only been programmed but has been um, enriched and enforced and uh, uh, um, bolted to the goddamn floor. And so it's our duty uh, to be aware of that and to make that move forward. And I think that um, uh, I'm hoping President Obama is quite aware of it. I'm certain that he is in these last two years, uh, last year rather, and that um, we can have, do kind of a headlong slide into the next election. And um, whatever you're going to vote for, and I never tell you who to vote for, and you know where I stand. I'm the Hillcat through and fucking through. Now, I love my Bernie people, and if you don't want to vote for Hillary when the election comes, that's your fucking prerogative. You do whatever you like. I would never tell you who to vote for. Understand this. There's going to be three, maybe four Supreme Court justices picked by the next president. Now, look at the ones that uh, Obama has picked. He picked the brilliant uh, Ms. Kagan, uh, Justice Kagan, and the brilliant Sotomayor, right? Um, look at the, the choices Clinton made when he was president. Um, and look at the choices W made when he was president. That's all I ask you to do uh, as a sentient human being. And understand that um, agendas are being pursued vehemently. And with great money and malice aforethought, uh, if you think they're not, they are. And um, that's how things change. They really do. The Roberts Court supported Obamacare, and the Roberts Court uh, supported gay marriage. So it's not always a cut-and-dried situation, but understand that for every Roberts who's moderate every once in a while, there's an Alito and a Scalia and a Thomas. Uh-huh. You get where I'm coming from in this. And that they are intractable in so much as they have already been um, programmed co-opted, given their orders, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I hesitate to be Mr. Conspiracy and go, they've been bought and sold and why don't the United States tell us that there's aliens in Roswell? And, you know, I don't... I just want to try to speak to sort of the truth uh, again and again. When grand juries um, clear policemen of shooting black people, it's not an aberration in the American uh, legal system. It is what the legal system in America was designed to do. What the uh, justice system in America is designed to do is punish the poor again and again and again and absolve the rich from any responsibility of any crime they might commit. Is this justice? No. Not in any way. Is this comedy? No. Uh, and there you are. So uh, I leave it all to you. And I, I only leave you with hope in your heart. I hope. Because um, um, as I say so many times on the show, again and again and again, um, when I was little, if you told me that a woman would be running for president against a hunchy Jewish guy who shouted a lot, <laughs> and a sociopath with an orange orangutan on his head, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed you. I watched Humphrey run against Nixon when I was a kid. That was freaky. George Wallace ran in that election. So if you think Trump's a new thing, he's not. And this whole, uh, 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 I don't like black people, I don't like Mexican people, I don't like women, I don't like John McCain because he got captured. I don't, you know, that crazy shit? The crazy shit that you think is beyond the pale of crazy shit? 
it is one beyond the pale of crazy shit. The things that uh, the Republican Party has not denied or sought to uh, divide from themselves, or Jeb Bush in his own flammatory uh, fucking Admiral Akbar way that he's been doing, you know. <laughs> In my lifetime, George Wallace ran. Uh, in a lot of people's lifetime in this room, there were Dixiecrats and Strom Thurmond ran. This is a through line in American politics. Teddy Roosevelt became a third-party candidate over 100 years ago. And at a last-ditch effort, when he was a bull mooser, tried to include women and black people uh, uh, to, to, to beat uh, William Howard Taft, right? Uh, uh, and um, it didn't happen. Um, but it can happen, and it does happen. We've had a black man as president for eight years. Whoever the next president is, let's hope it's not someone uh, with no vision for the future. Um, when people talk about making America great again or going back to what we used to do, um, what we used to do was slavery, penury, and fucking complete um, uh, horror against women at all times. And as, mm, let me just go back to something that I was very lucky enough to say uh, earlier in the year. I can't find it on my sheet, but I'll fucking, who cares? I got to, I wrote a book this year and I did a book tour. And one of the best things uh, I got to do was go around the country and meet people and go around Europe and talk to people. And I got to do CBS Morning, which is this uh, morning show on CBS, which is owned by a giant corporation. And I was put on on Saturday morning and they let me on with my book. And they asked me a question about my book. And they said, what's going on in the world? And I said, the most important thing in the world are women's rights. And they let me say it on a corporate TV show in this country this year. That happened. I'm not saying it's a breakthrough or that I'm a hero. I'm saying this. What's going on uh, in the Middle East and the refugee situation coming from Syria? What's going on in the United States uh, with the suppression of people by the police? What's going on with the economy uh, of the world? These are the real issues. Um, uh, uh, Planned Parenthood and babies getting cut up on tables and all that shit. Uh, uh, all the nonsense that uh, when you watch the Republican debates, you feel like you're watching an alternative universe. And uh, uh, All issues are women's issues. Uh, gun control. Women are killed by guns. The refugees in Syria, women are the largest part of that. Poverty in America, the disparate um, uh, hideousness between the rich and the poor, the rich siphoning all the money off. Women are the most people in poverty. So understand that every issue, war, economy, uh, the legalities of the world, anything that's going on, the overarching, overriding issue is that women are at the center of everything. And that women are the ones who are the brunt, bear the brunt of all of these things. Murder, poverty, and war are born by women and are, are managed by women at all times. Um, I can't express that enough. And I don't understand why everyone doesn't see it uh, that way. Uh, not because I'm blind and I, I, I'm so righteous in my glory that all I can see is the, the giant light that's shining off the top of my head all the time like a coal miner. <laughs> It just seems painfully obvious to me. There's, what, 70, 80 women in the Congress in the United States? So what the fuck are we talking about, you guys? Well, I don't like women run and break a The Supreme Court has three women. They asked Sandra, uh, uh, or, or um, fucking Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's bad Asador of the universe. <laughs> How many women should there be on the Supreme Court? And she was like, what? And they go, well, how many women's enough? And she's like, you never asked that when there were nine men. 
When there's nine women on the Supreme Court, that's when there's enough. When all the women uh, 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 fill up Congress and the Senate, when there's a woman president, that's when there's equality. That's when there's enough. But I don't like her, and she did this and she did that. I dig it. I dig it. I didn't like a lot of men who were president. I didn't like a lot of men who did a lot of shit all the fucking time. It's not a matter of that anymore. It's a matter of looking inside your heart and going, I've got to understand that not only do women are women equal, they have to be treated as equals. But what does that mean? That means letting them hold office. That means letting them express their opinion. That means letting them have their legal rights. That means not killing them all the time. It means paying them the same wage. It means not using language that you wouldn't use against men, against women. Um, I want to hear that men are ugly and old. I want to hear that men aren't fuckable. I want to hear that men aren't hot. I want to hear that I wouldn't fuck him with your fucking pussy. Right? When Donald Trump comes on TV, do any of the people in this room get a big, wet, wide one? I don't think you fucking do. When Jeb Bush's jowls start flapping at you, does that fucking hot your fucking stew up to the boiling point and shit? Your ovaries start fucking clanging like sleigh bells? I'm fucking serious. And funny. I mean... Bill Cosby finally got arrested today. It's taken all year. And 58 women is it so far? And now the shit's at the fam. But he's quite old, like a Nazi war criminal. And I mean that in an analogous way. I feel like... No, I'll go even further. I was watching the news this week because I watch television still because I'm 56. And on the news, on the BBC, they were showing the South Korean comfort women were finally given a fucking like, little bonus by the Japanese government and the Japanese government apologized to them. Well, how many of those women are still alive? They were comfort girls, as they were called, in World War II. World War II was 70 years ago. So in order to have been a comfort girl, I'm sure there's some that are 85, 90, 95. How many? Get right on that, Japan. Get right on that with Bill Cosby. Get right on that with Rolf Harris. Get right on that with fucking the BBC. Get right on with, with rape and shit all around the world. Um, we're finally, at this point in my life, at this middle age, well, middle age, I'm going to live to be 112. <laughs> at this point in my life... Acknowledging that this is the fucking lay of the land. And it's super inconceivably important to acknowledge that it's not just the lay of the land, it's a, a, an overriding concern that that's what the future has to be. If, no matter what you believe, if you were 11 right now and you were a young woman, 
wouldn't it be exciting to know that the future was going to be different for you and that people who were sexual violators and that people who oppressed you and that people who wouldn't pay you and that people who made war against you and that people who wanted guns to be readily available so you could be shot all the time, the number two cause of death in pregnant women in the United States is murder. And wouldn't you be glad to know that that was changing if you were a young person and that then 20 years you had something to look forward to? I look forward to it. That and the polar ice cap melting and Marco Rubio floating away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Uh, and I think you dig it uh, more than anyone else. Uh, Ellsworth Kelly is swirling in the heavens. You're making a giant leap here. Yes, I am. Uh, Ellsworth Kelly uh, uh, is swimming in the heavens this week. I think he made it to 93 or 94. Uh, He's in my book, coincidentally, and I wanted to read you the little moment that I gave him for that. The Chicago Panels by Ellsworth Kelly. Uh, It's the chapter called 10 Pieces of Art I Wish I Had the Balls to Steal. (laughs) Ellsworth Kelly worked with a camouflage unit during World War II and eventually became an abstract painter and sculptor. He works in shapes and monochromatic canvas. He is a brilliant colorist, and this orange triangle, one of a series, is in a hallway at the top of a staircase. It would go perfectly in a home, say, like mine. (laughs) Right near the fireplace and above my faux tiger rug, just to the right of my thimble collection. This is how we steal this. We pretend to choke on a souvenir magnet while you grab this canvas and go arse over tea kettle out the back. (laughs) Confederates would be waiting in a black Escalade, and off we go, down to the south side, where we know a dude to do the deal. Then some sinful duck fat and fries, a red-hot Chicago style with a dill pickle spear. We earned it. Chance of success, like the Cubs winning the World Series three times in a row. (laughs) Awkward segue, but it's the segue I made. Pascal Wexler is swirling in the heavens. Uh, He was a, a... more than a cinematographer, he was a very politically minded individual. He made a movie called uh, um, uh, Medium, Medium Cool. Yeah, Medium. <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you. I was pausing there. Medium Cool, uh, which is uh, uh, with Robert Forster and is a, a, a semi hemi so- documentary uh, about what happened in 1968, which was another year of revolution in this country, uh, aside from the two years of revolution we've had in the last two years. And if you don't think they are, in 10, 15 years' time, Uh, If you're young people here tonight, and you're, of course, gone quiet because everything's so serious, um, in 10 or 15 years' time, you'll look back at the year uh, uh, um, that uh, Officer Wilson uh, killed Mr. Brown, and you'll look back at the year uh, of the Freddie Gray and uh, 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 Sandra Bland uh, decisions, and you'll look back at all of this and say, this was a year of fucking revolution because people did organize and people understood what was fucking what in this country. And that's that the rich are controlling everything and they control the police state and that the police state is controlling us and that we are rebelling against that in, in a thousand different ways and that we understand that. Uh, but what about the gigantic system that grinds us down and shit? It's always going to grind us down. It ground the fucking ancient Greeks down. It ground the Persians down. It ground the Egyptians down. They had a continuous fucking belief system for 4,000 years and no change in their fucking artwork and aesthetic. At least we get to change aesthetic every once in a while. (laughs) And I'm sure one of you is making an app right now that's going to change everything. (laughs) Oh, I'm being a dick. That was a low fucking pot shot. (laughs) I love my tech buddies. When something significant gets invented, you can let me know. But what about Facebook and Twitter? Really? The government invented the internet, you guys. Not an entrepreneur in the South Bay. You're using 
government funds that I gave you to balance your little fucking app thing on. <laughs> but what about all the startup companies in the... Yeah. What about all the robber barons named Crocker and Stanford and shit? If you want to be different, pay your fucking taxes. Build a park for the poor. Don't run all the artists and poor people out of San Francisco. Tech companies. If you want to be different than all the buildings on Knob Hill that were built 100 years ago, then build something better than that. Don't just keep building Whole Foods and expensive coffee places and places where cereal is $4.50 a bowl and shit. That's not what cities need. Cities need art and children playing in the streets and drug dealers. Not just marijuana things, drug dealers. And nightlife, nightlife, nightlife. Go out at night. Like you guys are out at night. It's so awesome. Going out at night to see bands play live music and shit. That's, that's what the world is. That's what your life is. Your life's not in your phone, you guys. Your life's not in your computer. But Greg, you talk about books all the time. Do you think your life's in books? Some of it. I go out every night. I play every night. I'm everywhere all the fucking time. I don't, you don't, uh, I talk to people. I talk to all of you, a lot of you. Uh, uh, that's what your life is. You know what I mean? Uh, so think, think about it. Uh, as Tower of Power said in the song, what is hip? Think about it, y'all. But I love my phone. I know. <laughs> love people L love women your phone's a tool and if you're on it all the time so are you <laughs> Haskell Wexler made uh, documentaries Introduction to the Enemy Shot in Vietnam with Jane Fonda No Nukes Target Nicaragua in, uh, Inside a Covert War he wrote and directed and co-produced Latino and uh, lends the Michael Moore satire Canadian Bacon in 1995. He also made, of course, uh, used the first Steadicam in Bound for Glory, uh, that wonderful how should be film about um, uh, 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 um, Woody, thank you, Woody Guthrie. People are prompting me tonight, and I love it. Um, it was not surprising he hooked up with Elia Kazan to shoot America, America in 63. He went on, uh, he directed, he worked with every fucking director ever. In any case, um, here's my Haskell Wexer story very, very quickly. Uh, a couple of years ago, Jennifer and I were at uh, the TCM um, Film Festival. And the night before, we had gone to the AFI Film Festival. And at the AFI Film Festival, we'd seen Sidney Poitier's show In the Heat of the Night, which was cinema uh, shot by Haskell Wexler and directed by Norman Jewison, who's not Jewish. He was Canadian, but his name had the word Jew in it. And it's a wonderful picture with Sidney Poitier as a black cop who's in a southern town with a southern uh, sh uh, police captain named Rod, uh, Rod Starger. And they, they butt heads, and then he, Rod Starger realizes that uh, he's a Philadelphia detective and he needs him to help him solve the crime. So he does. Haskell Wexler shot it, and it's a very sweaty movie. Uh, it's an inside movie. They're in cars, they're in cells, they're in houses. Um, it's an extraordinary movie about race relations, and it's an extraordinary movie about men and women and civil rights. And Haskell Wexler beat the shit out of it uh, when he shot it. It's a very unusual movie for the early 60s because no one smokes a cigarette through the whole movie. I happen to notice that. Usually in the old movies, everyone's smoking all the time. Rod Steiger chews gum frantically through the whole movie like this. 
Well, he's saying lines sometimes. Like that. So, we're at the TCM Film Festival. The night before we'd seen Sidney Poitier. Who fucking shows up backstage but Albert Maisel and fucking Haskell Wexler, right? Because they're going to show Gimme Shelter, which we're there to see at a midnight showing. So, we're introduced. and We'd met Albert Maisel. I've told that story before. And I won't tell it again. But Haskell Wexler's there. Wearing jeans, boots, a leather jacket, and shades. He was 90 then. <laughs> We're introduced to him, and I went, Haskell, we saw Heat of the Night last night, and it still looks fucking great. And he was like, really? <laughs> and then they showed Gimme Shelter, the, the documentary that the Maisley Brothers made about uh, the Rolling Stones at Altamont, right? Just a couple, an hour and a half this way. And I point this way to orient you. <laughs> it's across the Bay Bridge, and it's that way. And Haskell Wexler said that Hells Angels called him after the movie and said they were going to stomp the fuck out of Mick Jagger and Albert Maisel and everyone and, and kill everyone and beat their shit down to the ground. And Albert Maisel bought Sonny Barger, the head of the, rolling, uh, of the um, Hells Angels, uh, a Harley Davidson, and that quelled it. And he told that story on the night. He went, I bought him a Harley, and they fucking backed off. <laughs> That's what a badass Haskell Wexler was. Kurt Mazur, uh, uh, the uh, director of the New York Philharmonic, passed away. He is swirling in the heavens. Um, he was there when uh, 9-11 happened, and he played uh, with the New York Philharmonic. He also, of course, was uh, at the, um, uh, the falling of the wall uh, uh, in Germany because he had come from East Germany as well. Let's see here. Uh, Meadowlark Lemon from the Harlem Globetrotters. There's really no way to describe uh, what a power Meadowlark Lemon was. Although, as my wife pointed out, Curly Neal was really the Michael Jordan of the team. Uh, Meadowlark Lemon uh, was maybe one of the most famous basketball players of all time. And Wilt Chamberlain said, Meadowlark was the most sensational, awesome, incredible basketball player I've ever seen. People would say it would be Dr. J or even Michael Jordan. For me, it would be Meadowlark Lemon. He played for the Harlem Globetrotters, and he was unbelievable. He entertained thousands of generations. I can't tell you how breathless we were on television uh, when I was a child to watch the Harlem Globetrotters. They also, like the Jackson 5, had their own cartoon show. (laughs) And it was fantastic beyond measure. And... Uh, they had a Globetrotters theme song and then they would (laughs) there'd be an action sequence where they'd be playing a game or whatever and this was the song they'd play and it was written by Neil Sedaka I'm not kidding I go bouncing, bouncing, bouncing bouncing all over the world like a honeybee goes from rose to rose I go from girl to girl so if you want to play a game catch me if you can cause I'm bouncing, bouncing, bouncing is the life of a traveling man yeah. Uh, choo choo whoa, flow trotters, choo choo whoa, whoa yeah. That was the fucking theme song. Uh, the Globetrotters are uh, were uh, uh, are an astounding and confabulation. Uh, in any case, uh, he's swirling in the heavens tonight. Um, here's what I wanted to get to, and then we're going to go off into this good night. Um, yes, uh, Lemmy. From uh, Motorhead passed away, and uh, uh, I wasn't a huge Motorhead fan because I felt like they did one song over and over again. However, I'm a fan of many other groups that did one song over and over again. <laughs> Lemmy's humor and humanity, um, his uh, wisdom and wit, 
uh, I think have made him uh, an amazing rock star over the years. Uh, the Ramones and ACDC have basically made the same album 52 times. Um, but as Lemmy pointed out, Chuck Berry didn't change, so why should I? And said that his idols were Chuck Berry and the Beatles, and for that I love him. If you've ever heard a Motorhead song, they're all kind of loud. Uh, and he was in several other groups, including Hawkwind and I believe Fastway and whatnot. Um, in any case, he did a great deal of drugs, and he drank quite a lot. Um, for about 30, 40 years. And he was unrepentant in that regard. And for that, I worship him. Um, not just for the drugs and the drink, but for a lot of other things. He didn't buy a castle, and he didn't buy a home in Sherman Oaks, California. He didn't, right, have a family and pretend to be sober. He didn't do any of the things that all rock stars feel like they have to do, like live as a giant count or whatever. Or as Ozzy Osbourne once so awesomely said on his show, I may have been fucked up and tried to kill my wife, but at least I'm not fucking Sting. And Ozzy Osbourne today wrote quite eloquently about uh, um, Lemmy uh, from Motorhead and said that he was his hero and that Lemmy was very intelligent and read quite a lot. He was born at the end of World War II and um, really played it uh, uh, the same all the time. And uh, th there's a certain integrity and honesty to that that's just unavailable in other performers uh, of, um, of any stripe or of any genre uh, that I think uh, makes him stand alone. Um, are you venerating him? I don't know that I'd venerate him so much as say that he gave me hope to fucking carry on, man. Um, he, got a, he got a defibrillator a couple years ago in his heart, and that made him go down from a, pack of, a couple packs of Marlboros a day to a pack of Marlboros a week. And he switched from a bottle of Jack Daniels a day to vodka and orange <laughs> for health reasons. <laughs> And carried on taking methamphetamine, which was his drug of choice. Which I would recommend to no one. And he said, I don't think that you should, uh, you know, it's okay to do the occasional line or two. Uh, but as Lenny said, Lemmy said, don't make it your whole life. <laughs> A couple of quotes from Lemmy, and then we're going to fuck off. And this is what I mean about Honesty. A lot of people talk the talk, but he fucking walked it. Fuck God and fuck the devil and fuck the church too, you know? Um, he, uh, he talked more like this. I can't do a, a fair justification to his accent, but uh, I'm responsible for my actions. I don't need to hide behind nothing. The devil didn't make me do it. I did it, whatever I did. You'll never hear that in certain quarters. Uh, physically, I'll go as long as I can. I ain't going to give it up. There's less and less talent and more and more gimmick. I'm pretty fucking hard to impress. He was a roadie for Jimi Hendrix. You'd have to beat Jimi Hendrix to impress me, and I don't see anybody doing that. <laughs> the only thing interesting about religion is how many people it's slaughtered. <laughs> religion is... Religion is stupid anyway. I mean, a virgin gets pregnant by a ghost? You'd never get away with that in a divorce court, would you? <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's fair to be waving your prick around when people don't mind, or people are minding their own business and might not want to see it. <laughs> Truer words were never spoke. 
if you didn't do anything that was good for you, it would be a very dull life. What are you going to do? Everything that's pleasant in this life is dangerous. <laughs> People don't. Uh, there's a magazine in England that said I screwed 2,000 women and I didn't. I said 1,000. <laughs> When you think about it, isn't that unreasonable? <laughs> Someone just went, ew. <laughs> I don't do regrets. Regrets are pointless. It's too late for regrets. You've already done it, haven't you? You've lived your life. No point wishing you could change it. This entire generation seems to have become pussies, you know? Nobody seems to enjoy themselves much anymore. They're all knocking each other down for enjoying themselves. Death is an inevitability, isn't it? You become more aware of that when you get to my age. I don't worry about it. I'm ready for it. When I go, I want to go doing what I do best. If I die tomorrow, I couldn't complain. It's been good. He was gigging up till three weeks ago. They were on tour until last month. He had his birthday party. He turned 72 weeks ago. And everyone that was anyone in a heavy metal band uh, was at his um, uh, last event at the, uh, uh, at the Roxy in Los Angeles. Um, in any case, um, I just wanted to thank you guys so much uh, for coming out here tonight. Uh, I was going to play a Lemmy song, and I'm, I'm not now. You're going to have to play your own Lemmy song. What I'm going to do is play a song by a friend of mine and a friend of Jennifer's. Uh, you may remember from earlier in the year, in February, a friend of ours named Rex Ray uh, is now swirling in the heavens. Uh, he fought for a long time. He was a, an artist here in San Francisco. And uh, he brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. He was an astounding artist and a, a, a man of rare um, wit and talent uh, and a very good friend of ours. And all I want to say uh, to you is that this new year uh, bring you everything that you want because I had a lot of luck and fortune for everything awful that happened last year. I want to thank all of you guys for all of your support and for everything that happened to me last year. I had a book. I had an album. I got to tour. I got to go around the world with Jennifer. And so I was very lucky once again. And when I think of all the people that I admire and when I think of all of you guys, uh, I think of Rex Ray and how brave and strong he was. And so uh, play that song, Kyle. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. May every page that turned for you be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. This one's for you, X-Ray. Good night, everyone. I wish you nothing but peace and love. <laughs>